Hey everyone, this is Les Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and this Sunday's podcast revolves around the 27 and 28 Detroit Pistons, who are coming off a frustrating loss to Atlanta earlier today. I solicit my co-host Ben Gulker's thoughts on the moves the Pistons made at the trade deadline, uh, what the Pistons need to work on during the All-Star break, and the proper amount of threes Blake Griffin should shoot per game. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the uh, post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what the fans want. Uh, In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I'm joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you? What's up, everybody? A little bit different mood in Pistons fandom. Two consecutive losses as opposed to a handful of wins. So kind of a bummer, kind of bummed. Yeah, you were were going off on Twitter after the game. What's up? Yeah, so, well... You know, when Blake Griffin was acquired, my initial reaction was, why? (laughs) Right? I mean, I know a lot of people are really, really high on Blake Griffin. I I am not one of those people and never have been. But, I mean, I was absolutely willing to to be wrong, right? To, To be proven wrong. And I think especially in his first game against Memphis, Blake essentially carried the team and looked fantastic and did so many of the things to sort of put some of my initial fears to rest. Um, and so that, that Memphis game, you know, I, Memphis not a particularly good team, but but Blake was really strong and I think really carried the team to a win. And then we had that nice little win streak that followed off of that where, you know, I think there were things to nitpick about Griffin's performance, but overall the team was playing so well that it just didn't seem fair to nitpick it too much. Um, but these last two games, man, they've been really rough. And this game in particular, like, underscored all of my fears and concerns about Blake Griffin as a 33 to $39 million player. Um, to me, these last two games, all of his weaknesses have kind of been on full display. And I think the team is going to really, really struggle to win when Blake plays this way. And my fear is... Um, this sort of play is going to be a whole lot more common than any of of us would want it to be. Uh, And that's just kind of a result of me digging into some of the numbers a little more closely, um, particularly around his, his shot distribution and shot profile in in LA prior to coming to Detroit this season. And then a little bit last season as well. So, yeah, I mean, I I was a little pissed on Twitter um, because my, my concern is that Blake Griffin could be, the, the quote-unquote volume scorer that I was afraid he would be. And I think that's going to be a really frustrating experience. And, and then I was also a little honked off at Van Gundy because I really like the Ennis trade. We can talk more about that in a minute if you want to. But 
look, I don't get why Jameer Nelson is playing meaningful minutes over Langston Galloway. I mean, he was actually fine. I mean, Jameer played fine. He outplayed Ish. This was one of Ish's worst games of the season. He really struggled. But, man, why do we need Jameer Nelson to play over Langston Galloway? Like, I joked with someone on Twitter, like, did Galloway kick Van Gundy's cat or something? Because he's got to be one of the most productive guards in the NBA to rack up did not play after did not play after did not play for no reason that I can decipher. He plays hard on defense, although not perfectly on defense. And and when he's shooting the ball well, he's exactly the sort of spark plug um, that our second unit needs. And a game like tonight where the whole team looked essentially flat a guy with Galloway's energy could have been a really meaningful spark. And, you know, I haven't been super critical of SVG, the coach this season, because I really liked what he did over the first 15 to 20 games. He instituted what I thought was a really clever offensive scheme. But man, since the Blake Griffin trade, like there's just nothing. There's no offensive sets. There's no offensive schemes with their first unit. It's just give the ball to Blake and, and hope for the best. And, you know, Blake is good enough that when he's going to the basket, that can work out. But he's also not quite good enough to do like what LeBron does. And I think this game was it just exemplifies that settling for 10 three point attempts, for example. A lot of that has to be on SVG. He's had Blake for almost two weeks now. They've done almost nothing to develop any sort of offensive scheming or consistency. So you end up with Blake dribble, 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 pull up, jump shot, and everyone else standing around in the corner. And that's just not going to get it done. And it's going to be a super frustrating experience for fans. See, I think I think you're onto something definitely with the lack of offensive structure that they've put around Blake. But they've played what? They've played what? Five games, six games since. Uh, since he's been acquired, basically a game every other day. Maybe only I think they had some shoot arounds and like maybe only one or two practice practices. So I'm not sure exactly how much they've had to like put in the playbook because they don't have they didn't have a guy with Blake's skill set before at the power forward position. Um, and you need to do a better job of working things around him. That said, you know you do need to do better than you know post him up on the left block isolate him and uh and just let him go to work because he's not that guy anymore um i will say that this is probably blake's worst game as a piston um it and a lot of that does come down to the three-point shooting but uh he is not he's not being helped by uh the offensive spacing that the pistons are putting around him right like you can see um, if he and Ish and Stanley are all on the floor at the same time, you can send two, three guys at Blake. And then once you pass, once he passes, you, the defense can rotate and scramble to Ish, who's not going to shoot a three, and Stanley, who might shoot a three, but it's probably not going in. And so you you end up in scenarios where he's trying to force possessions. He's trying to draw foul calls. Um, he's uh, shooting threes that are kind of ill-advised. And so I think he's just forcing it. And I think he's forcing it because he knows that's the the role they brought him into play of, of offensive dynamo, of offensive centerpiece. And, uh, you know, that expectation level is uh, something that I think is affecting him mentally. Um, especially, I think you could see it in the Clipper game. I, 
he so badly wanted to score a 40-point triple-double on, on the Clippers, and it just was not going to happen. And uh, the more he tried, the more frustrated he got, and it it just wasn't going to happen. Um, so I, I share some of your concerns. Um, I don't think uh, anyone who saw the, the Jameer Nelson trade and didn't expect Jameer Nelson to be immediately playing uh, just doesn't know Stan Van Gundy. I wouldn't surprise if Ish has more games like this. It wouldn't surprise me if uh, if Jameer Nelson starts for this team pretty quickly. Yeah, I will not watch those games because that is asinine. That is just absolutely. Sorry, I hate that word. I shouldn't use it. You should bleep that out. But it's dumb. I mean, Jameer Nelson is washed up. He doesn't make terrible mistakes, but he doesn't do anything to move the offense forward in a positive direction. It doesn't make any sense. All right, I wanna, and you're right, though. I mean, I read you're right you. to say anyone who knows Van Gundy knows this is the kind of thing he would do. I totally co-sign on that. Well, I want to read you Jameer Nelson's line from tonight. So he played 19 minutes, 3 of 7 from the floor, 0 of 2 from 3, no free throws, uh, 5 assists, 1 turnover, 6 points, Plus ten. Yeah, he was. He was the thing that makes it so frustrating to me is that he was actually not terrible, right? Like he was competent as a backup point guard tonight. But to me, like Langston Galloway can be more than that, and we've seen him be more than that consistently, right? So if it's Jameer Nelson or nothing, okay, maybe we go with Jameer Nelson. But why do we hard cap ourselves for Langston Galloway as Reggie Jackson insurance and then glue him to the bench first for a G league guy. And then for what Jameer's like 36 or 37 or whatever he is a, a guy who has extraordinary limitations. It doesn't, it just doesn't add up to me. Well, so you saw a little bit of why I think SVG brought him in and why he's playing him in the precious few like pick and roll possessions he was able to run with Andre Drummond uh, when Blake Griffin wasn't wasn't on the floor like though he can still run a, a pick and roll professionally and like make it look smooth that's true and that's that's, true. that's something that Langston Galloway like has really struggled with uh this season um if you ask Langston to make shots and come off screens and uh spot up he can do that but if you ask him to kind of set the offense and uh, get get other guys looks, he struggles with that. And so it's predictable that, um, you know, that Jameer Nelson, a guy who can set up other players with, you know, five assists in 20 minutes, um, that that guy would play more. I'm not saying it's not frustrating and I'm not saying that uh, I disagree with you, but it was eminently predictable at the very least. It is 100% predictable. And it's not just predictable to fans of the Pistons. It's also predictable to opposing coaching staff. So we be, we continue to remain one of the most predictable offenses in the entire NBA to defend. And it's just it leads to losses. It leads to losses like this one when you have a 37-year-old who can hardly run up and down the floor in a pick-and-roll with Andre Drummond who can't shoot out of si- outside of five feet and three guys standing around the perimeter. It didn't work tonight in spite of the fact that Jameer had a somewhat respectable individual stat line. I mean, it, it, it didn't work. The team lost. Yeah, I, I, I can't you argue with you on that. Bad, bad, bad team. Yeah, the Atlanta Hawks are not a good team. Okay, so let me let me pull back a little bit. So yeah. we got your thoughts on Jameer Nelson, uh, who was acquired on Thursday at the trade deadline. What were what did you think of James Ennis? This is uh, his first action in a Pistons uniform. What did you think of him? 
super pleased, especially defensively. Um, he's a guy who kind of the advanced stat, stat lovers have been, he's been on the radar as sort of a guy who has the potential to, I think, break out and find a bigger role than he's had somewhere else. Uh, the Pistons could be that role for him. I think to my eye, he looks like a better overall player than Stanley Johnson. Um, Stanley has the edge, I think, in terms of being able to defend a couple more positions, but I don't think by a lot. I mean, I think Ennis, at least what I saw tonight was quite a bit of defensive versatility. And then offensively, I think he's, he's quite a bit ahead of Stanley. So, um, you know, you mentioned the offense when you've got Ish and Stanley and Blake out there together. I think that's a legitimate concern. If it were me, I mean, I would I would make the switch immediately and go with more offense and switch Stanley and Ennis uh, and hope that that gives um, Blake a little more room to work and uh, without sacrificing much defensively, in my opinion. I don't know. What did you think? We only saw him for a few minutes, but what was your take on so him? I, I, I also liked his energy defensively. Uh I also liked his uh, is just on court energy. Um, he he's a he's a slasher uh, shooting wing, and the Pistons don't really have a guy like that. Um, he had a very nice finish in transition after a steal, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't surprise me either if he uh, suddenly finds himself in the starting lineup and uh, Stanley is in the, ends up on the bench. But I think that. I've been I've been thinking about this for a while actually, and I think that's actually better for Stanley. Stanley appears to play better with the ball in his hands when he gets to create and and make plays for other people. Uh, he doesn't do that quite as well as maybe you'd like because he's still only twenty one, but he definitely has the vision and uh, the passing chops to to find shots for other guys in addition to for himself. So I think that. Playing him next to a point guard like Ish, who uh, who really needs if Ish doesn't have the ball in his hands, he's basically like non-existent. Uh, I think you could you should be playing Stanley next to Jameer Nelson. You should play be playing him next to a point guard who can make threes and kind of be letting him be like the, the de facto offensive creator for the units that he's on. Like this is why I think uh, Langston Galloway would have been fine next to Stanley because Langston Galloway is a guy you let Stanley set guys up and Langston's a play finisher, not a play starter. And so, you know, whether it's next to a guy who can make threes, whether that guy is Nelson or whether that guy is Galloway, I think Stanley's game for now is better suited to the bench to a more, uh, more bench oriented role. Uh, He's still uh, the best, I think, perimeter defender on the team, which is why he's starting. But uh, if the drop-off between uh, him and Ennis defensively is not as great as the drop-off offensively, I think that's definitely a reason to to start Ennis over Stanley. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see that pretty soon. Yeah, that would make sense to me. Yeah. Um, they. I think there's a long conversation that could be had that we don't need to have today about um, what sort of a starting unit makes sense with Blake Griffin as the focal point? Um, I don't know exactly what each five of those positions are, but I think if you if you look at the Pistons roster as it stands today, you've got to give them some shooting. Like, you just have to. Um, and I think it, if, if it is the case that he's defaulting for the pull-up jump shot because defenses are collapsing, and I, I think that's a viable theory, 
then you want to give some shooters the chance to run with him so that defenses can't just do that and, and take advantage of his passing because he's certainly an excellent passer. I mean, the things that have been his redeeming qualities while he struggled from the field to me are his ability to get to the rim and his passing, which have both been, I think, very, very good. So to me, it just makes all the sense in the world to put shooters around. Him. Yeah, I think it, even if if you're putting shooters around him, you can even put him in pick and rolls with Andre Drummond, right? And have him create off of those. And uh, that's a dynamic that a lot of teams can't really deal with because they don't have plus defenders at the four and the five and, you know, the defensive capability to close out on shooters on guys. And so that's, that's definitely something I'm interested in. And to me, the, that shooter at point guard is, is Reggie Jackson eventually when he comes back who knows yeah it'll be really interesting to see too like um one of the things that reggie and blake will have that reggie has not had in detroit is a pick and pop i mean sometimes we see that with Oliver, but um blake will be a pretty dynamic threat because he can he can pop and he can roll so he's going to add a layer of complexity for defenses to have to deal with so i'm i'm very much looking forward to seeing to seeing that interaction play out yeah me too so since the trade the trades plural, I should say. Uh, prior to those trades, Stan Van Gundy was going with a flat eight-man rotation, which is too few people. Uh, today, we finally saw a 10-man a rotation, um, including some non-Andre, non-Blake uh, front court minutes. Eric Moreland played four minutes by himself and did not, he didn't acquit himself well in those four minutes he blew he blew a pick and roll with uh with nelson uh he had a really bad turnover you you it makes you wonder why uh why they gave up on willie reed but that's that's neither here nor there um but at the same time stan's finally expanded the rotation because he's found guys he can trust Uh, i think that's that's a big deal and that's something that Clearly, uh, even though he hard capped himself for Langston Galloway, Langston Galloway never earned his trust at the uh, at the point guard position. And so, finally, having uh, an expanded roster of guys, Stan feels like he can play. I think is a good thing for the Pistons, even if the uh, individual players that um, that make up that rotation uh, frustrate us on occasion. Um, have you? I've I haven't talked to you about this. Have you been interested to see some non-Blake, non-Andre front court minutes, or were you fine with uh, a three-man big rotation of uh, Blake, Andre, and Anthony Tolliver? I'm fine with it in the sense that I don't see an, a healthy alternative. Um, I guess I would be curious to hear how you would you you'd have to roll with Moreland and Tolliver, right? I mean, there's no other. There's no other big man second unit with those two off the floor, right? I mean, that's your only yeah, option. Yeah, that's it. And and yeah, and that's the hard part. Yeah. I mean, just I mean, Tolliver's been fantastic, but Moreland is just like he's just such a non-factor offensively. And that second unit, I mean, you're thinking, okay, you're running out there with presumably Jameer Nelson, Luke Kennard, whoever ends up at the three. Tolliver and Moreland. I mean, I guess it could be worse, but ooh, I just feel like that's pretty underwhelming. No, yeah, I, I can't. I can't disagree with you. But uh, I've noticed during games that Andre is starting to get more winded um, during, the, during the quarters, and they're playing one of Blake or Andre uh, ten plus minutes in a quarter uh, to start the to start the first and third quarters, and I don't think that's something that's sustainable. 
Um, I think that being able to carve out time where you're trying to uh, play even uh, without Blake and Andre is uh, something that is good for both of them in the long run and in the short term because they they'll in the long run it'll hopefully uh, limit injury exposure and in the short term it'll hopefully uh, enable them to play with more energy when they are on the court you know yeah I hear that for sure that makes sense um, it I feel like it makes more sense when Reggie Jackson gets back. I think that's kind of what I had initially thought of when I was looking at the notes is like right now, Blake and Andre are just going to have so much to do with the Pistons success. I think, I mean, as they go pretty much the Pistons are going to go And that second unit. I mean, if you have Reggie Jackson back and healthy, it gives you a few more options on the second unit, especially, you know, just who you decide to go with that point guard. But no, I hear what you're saying. And I think I agree with you. I've seen Andre look extremely tired. I think um, the last game against uh, the Clippers, for example, he just looked fatigued to me just in general. Um, not necessarily like he played two minutes and was getting winded, but he was just tired, like progressive fatigue had become. Yeah, there was a during the Clippers game in the second quarter, I think there was a stretch of like two minutes where it was just constant up and down play. And uh, after that stretch, Andre just seemed like mentally, like really winded, it winded physically and like mentally checked out. That was after that stretch. That's when we got all the, uh, all the alligator arm hooks and uh, all the bad yeah. possessions with Montrez Harrell defending him. And so I think just, you know, seeing that makes me just acknowledge that like, okay, maybe we need to find uh, time and space for one of these, both of these guys to not be on the court at the same time. Yeah, that would totally make sense. I mean, it, it's hard because they're your max guys and you need your max guys to man up and play. But at the same time, none of them are superhuman. And when you're playing them 35, 36, 37 minutes, game in, game out, they're going to get tired. I mean, it's just the reality yeah. of it. Uh, I mean, the schedule has been the schedule hasn't been a help either. They think they play every other day for like the last week and a half, and so yeah, the All Star break is good timing in that sense. Yeah, definitely. So speaking of that, they only play two games this week. They play New Orleans on a back to back tomorrow, which will be Monday, and uh, Atlanta at home Wednesday. So uh, it's going to be a short week, and then there'll be the All Star break. Um, hopefully they'll get time to rest and recuperate. Andre will obviously be par- participating in the, uh, the all-star game itself and the festivities and whatnot, but uh, they have built-in days before and after, I think, uh, to make that transition a little bit easier. What, uh, what should the Pistons use their all-star break time to implement? Like, what, what, what should they be doing differently after the all-star break once they have time to practice? Yeah, well, they should absolutely have a handful of sets with Blake Griffin. Um, what you're saying is totally fair in terms of the fact they haven't had a lot of practice time. But they're playing basketball at the absolute highest levels. And I mean, I played basketball in college at the absolute smallest levels. And it, it didn't take us more than a morning shoot around to get a set down. Because by that time, you've, you've run so many different types of sets. You know how to play the game. Um, you know, so I'd like to see them have three to five sets with maybe two to three different options out of those sets each that they can run um, when things start to get stagnant. Um, You know, one of the primary symptoms of this to me is if you look at the second halves of this game and the Clippers game, um, Reggie Bullock was absolutely phenomenal and incredibly involved in both of these first halves. 
Um, against the, the Clippers, I think he only had two or four points in the second half. And then today against the Hawks, he had 16 or 18 in the first half. And then again, two points in the second half. Um, you know, some of that could be the fact that the defense made adjustments and, and Reggie's not a particularly dynamic individual player. And so I would accept that argument to a point. But but there's another point in which, as a coach, I think you have to be conscientious of the fact that the default thing that you're turning to in the second half is Blake Isos. And you need you need Blake Isos. Don't get me wrong. There's going to be times where the offense breaks down or the defense tightens up and you need to give your guy the ball and you need him to to do something for you. But but I think they should have some sets they can go to to get people moving specifically in order to keep the role players engaged because there's just absolutely no question about it. When those guys are engaged, the Pistons offense is much more dynamic and difficult to deal with. Uh, And when they're not currently the way the roster is set up and the lineups are set up, Blake becomes a whole lot easier to guard because you can just kind of sag off him a bit and lull him into taking a jump shot because you know you've got support behind you sagging off the non-shooters. So that's what I would hope to see, three to five sets with with a couple different options uh, that they can go to throughout the game, uh, but particularly in crunch time. What about you? So so first, I want to thank you for bringing up Reggie Bullock, who uh, has definitely played admirably in the last two games and warrants mention. Um Secondly, I want to see them change their defensive coverage a little bit. Um, Blake's mobile at the four, but uh, he doesn't close out very well. Uh, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's technique. I don't know if that's uh, if that's physical inability. I don't know uh, what necessarily the the issue is there. But I know that the uh, the one four pick and roll into a stretch big shooting a three has been something that's been an issue for this team basically since the season started. And so I would like to see them tweak their pick and roll coverage a little bit to account for stretch bigs better, whether that's, whether that, that switches, um, whether that's uh, having guys who aren't Andre, um, you know, drop back a little bit, whether that's uh, not hedging as hard. I, w- I would just like to see something done a little bit differently on that end of the ball, because honestly you, you look at the box score tonight like Ersan Ilyasova scored 19 points and was plus 20. Like that, that should not happen when the matchup, when the individual matchup is is Ersan Ilyasova versus Blake Griffin. Like that, mm-hmm. that's unacceptable. And so I would like to see a little bit of uh, defensive uh, pliability there as well. Um, and, and you know, there's also some other stuff. I'd like to see um, them protect the paint. A little bit less with the weak side guys. They're giving up a lot of corner threes. Uh, there was yeah, they do, don't they? Yeah. Oh my gosh, there was a, there was one particular instance in the Atlanta game where Canard uh, started off. So if he started off in the weak side corner, um, his man is in the weak side corner. But yet, because of where the pick and roll is going, he drifts all the way to the strong side paint at the nail. And then once the ball gets reversed to the corner, he's like, oh, crap, that's right. Like, my guy is a, is the 35% shooter, and he's wide open, <laughs> and I have nothing – I have no recourse for this. And, you know, maybe that's maybe that's part of a rookie mistake. But Stan has definitely instructed his guys to, like, you know, uh, leave guys open in the corner and, you know, come in, protect the paint, and uh, you know, alter shots and get rebounds. And I would like to see them – uh, play out a little bit more. I would like to see them rely 
a little bit more on Andre as a rim protector and a rebound getter and uh, try and lock down the perimeter from there. So that that's what I would have them implement with their practices during the All-Star break. Uh, we know Stan's going to spend 80% of his practices on defense anyway, so make those changes, Stan. Yeah, right. He's going to spend 80% of the time on a, a top 10 defense and a, a bottom 20 offense because yeah. that's that's Stan Van Gundy. That's who he is for, for better or worse. Okay, so uh, I mentioned earlier there's only two games this week. Um, the the back-to-back on in New Orleans – or home against New Orleans on the back-to-back and uh, Atlanta at home. Uh, after this performance, I, I shudder to ask this question, but uh, how many of those games should the Pistons win, Ben? It's going to have um, a lot to do with how many three-point attempts Blake Griffin has, in my opinion. Um, the games where he's performed particularly well, his three-point attempts are are lower. Uh, one for three against Memphis, one for five against Brooklyn. Those were pretty strong individual games offensively. His bad offensive games, he's one for six, three for seven, one for seven, three for ten. Ten. Ten threes today against Atlanta. Um, the thing about Blake is that he's so good when he's going to the basket in rhythm, right? When it's in the flow of the larger offense. And he's a monster to deal with. There's no power forward. Well, I shouldn't say no. There are very few power forwards in the NBA who can deal with him when when he's got a little bit of space and he can put the ball on the floor. Um, you know, if he can exploit that against New Orleans, um, he should be able to exploit that against Atlanta. And hopefully he, he watches the tape from today's game and sees that a little more clearly. It was certainly there for him. If Blake Griffin is going to the rim, um, his ability to finish and his ability to pass is going to make the Pistons, I think, a favorite on paper against both of those teams. Um, whether or not that's going to happen as flip a coin, I, I don't feel like I have a very good read um, on when Blake is going to decide to settle for jump shots and when he's going to attack the rim. Sounds like the the magic number for right now for the Pistons is uh, like, six if Blake has six or more three attempts that's not the way the offense should be being run right and even if he makes three right like if he goes three for seven that's a good percentage but it probably means that the offense isn't doing what you want it right. to do yeah right? you shouldn't be attempting seven threes in a in an ideal scenario for the offense yeah I agree okay so if they if they win both of those games they'll enter the all-star break a game over yeah, game over five hundred. If they split those games, they'll enter the game. The they'll enter the All Star break uh, a game under five hundred, which is what they are now. Um, they're two games out of a playoff spot. Uh, I think I, I saw somewhere that Philadelphia has the easiest remaining schedule among uh, Eastern Conference teams. And so, if this team wants to make the playoffs, if they want to uh, continue the push that they made after acquiring Blake Griffin. It needs to happen relatively soon. It's now or never. Yeah, and I think just eyeballing it, the Pistons are a little bit road heavy from here on out. They're slight. They've got a little bit more on the road than they do at home. So th- there's not a lot of time to figure this whole Blake Griffin thing out. They they're gonna have to adapt quickly and on. Yeah, the fly. I know they have one more West Coast swing, but it's like an easy West Coast swing. There's no like Spurs, no Rockets, no Warriors. Yeah. Well, the Houston or the Houston is the sixth game of oh, that okay. one, which you can pretty much write off regardless of when it is on the road trip. Fair. So it might as well be the six out of six games, right? Like that's a loss regardless. So. Yeah. 
All right, Ben. This is this has been this has been good. Uh, I was I was pretty I was pretty peeved after today's game, but after I cut some about a, a bunch of Brussels sprouts, I calmed down a little bit. Uh, <laughs> so where uh, better you than me, man? Ugh. Oh, they're they're good. You uh, you salt them up a little bit, and you get like some olive oil and some um, some like ghee. It's like fake butter. It's pretty good. Do you roast you roast them? Yeah, you roast them. That I that I think I could do. It's just this normal steamed buttered boringness. Oh, yeah, that, no, don't, yeah. don't steam them. Why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for for more cooking tips, uh, where can people yeah, right. where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at, at br gulker. Same initials as Blake Griffin BG. Oh yeah, that's right. You changed your uh, your Twitter name to reflect that. I know it was it was my period of mourning had ended. Boban is gone and I, I can't replace him. So yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm going with Blake Griffin. He's our boy, whether he, whether he's great or not, he's our boy. So we all got to be pulling. Exactly. Him. Exactly. Uh, and you can find me at last chance that that's at L A Z C H A N C E on Twitter. Um, I love to talk basketball. I'll talk with you guys about, uh, you know, whether or not Blake Griffin should or should not be shooting seven threes a game. He shouldn't. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thanks, everyone, for uh, listening. Thanks, Ben, for coming on. And uh, I don't think we'll do a podcast next week because of the All-Star break. There's only two games. So uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks, guys. Uh, Thanks for listening.